Hey, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Never Give Up podcast. I'm your host, Shane Spicer. So I've got a uh, I've got a special guest on the uh, on the line here today, guys. I'm really excited about it. It's a uh, it's a colleague and friend of mine, uh, Johnny Thomas. How you doing, Johnny? Doing well, Shane. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. Glad to have you. Uh, so so Johnny and I recently started uh, started working together. And uh, we connected and found out that we had some similar uh, we had some similar interests and we had some similar views on some things. So we kind of connected pretty quickly in, in regards to that. And uh, I wanted you to just uh, just maybe share a little bit of your background and kind of give uh, give uh, an introduction about yourself, Johnny. Yeah, thank you, thank you very much. It's uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure to have met you and uh, become acquainted with you through work and uh, under the circumstances working from home, but. Uh, Meeting a lot of people virtually these days is pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, once again, my name is Jonathan Thomas. My friends call me Johnny, and um, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. So I was born in Atlanta and raised there till I was about 13 and uh, moved to Mexico. My parents uh, were missionaries um, on and off for 40 years, and my, uh, my dad, when we – just around the time we were becoming teenagers – my dad said, let's move to Mexico, be missionaries. And I had actually been to Mexico once previous to that when I was five. But uh, I hated the experience because I got chicken pox on the way down. And we drove in an old station wagon. And I had to sit in the back of the station wagon where those station wagons that had those slanted uh, windows. And when you're driving down through the desert of Texas and the desert of Mexico, like the sun is just beating down on you. So having chicken pox and having the sun just beat down on you, that was not an enjoyable experience. And I'll never forget that. Like, you don't remember much when you're five, but you, you remember that. <laughs> Gee, you, but, you, remember the, you remember the experiences that scar you, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I actually have a scar, like a chicken pox scar right in the middle of my forehead from that, from like scratching the, the, the chicken pox. Um, so it's really funny. A lot of people, when they see me, they go, what, what happened to you? Did you get shot with a BB gun? like a crater right in my forehead from that one of those so anyways no so we moved to mexico um and um lived there right up until i was uh 20 and uh i i went up to a university in maine but um and that's where i met my wife uh, priscilla she's from moncton new brunswick and so you know, the university was in Bangor or just outside of Bangor, which is only a hop and a skip away from Moncton, uh, New Brunswick. And um, so we'll put a pin on that and come back to that. But that's how I, I landed here in Canada. Uh, but yeah, living in Mexico as a teenager, um, completely new to me. I had to learn the language and um, I didn't really study the language at all. I just went out and played a lot of soccer in the streets with all the kids that were playing outside. So I picked up a lot of the language in the first six months that we were down. And then I kind of wanted to study it a little more. So I took a, I think I bought like a $30 course for the computer or I got my dad to buy it. Dad, buy me the Spanish course, <laughs> um, 30 bucks here. So anyways, yeah, I took that. And then by a year I was fluent in Spanish. So by the time I was 14, I was completely fluent in Spanish and I was practically living on my own. I was I was going outside every single day because the weather down. We we moved to Guadalajara, and the weather down in Guadalajara is just beautiful, like ninety percent of the time. 
it's just heaven down there as far as weather. It gets pretty hot and you don't, there's not a lot of air conditioners. Like the homes aren't air conditioned and heated like they are up here or, or in the States or anything like that. A lot of the homes are just like, you know, brick homes or concrete, really concrete formed homes. So, um, cool thing is that every night we were, we were, um, 128 kilometers from the Pacific coast where we were in Guadalajara. So 120 kilometers from the coast, every night around seven, you get these Pacific winds that would come off of the coast and they would reach all the way to Guadalajara and they would cool the city down. So from like seven to nine, you start getting this, this cool breeze and it would cool your home down. And so your home, your home would cool down and it would be comfortable overnight uh, for the most part, um, unless you had these real hot heat waves. And then in the morning, it's funny. So everyone closes their windows at night and lets uh, whatever heat was in there that, that didn't escape or, or whatever heat built up throughout the day or whatever, they close their, their windows at night so it doesn't cool right down and, and you get sick or anything. And then in the morning around the same time, like seven to nine, well, that, that cool air just lifts and gets out of there and then it starts heating back up. So then people open their windows again. And uh, so I, I really loved that. Like, you know, you just can't do that really anywhere else in the world. Uh, <laughs> in Canada, you got six months of snow. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's different. But yeah, was, living in Mexico, speaking, learning the language, playing with the kids out in the street, that was very unique. It was a different world for me, and I jumped into it. I have a, I have a twin sister named Anna and, a, and an older sister named Hope. Um, I actually have three brothers and four sisters. I'm one of eight. But when we moved down there, it was just me, my twin, and my older sister, Hope. She's two years older than me. Um, and Anna and Hope didn't really they didn't really jump into it, right? They didn't want to be down there. You could take these teenage girls out of their, their lives back in Georgia and put them in Mexico where they don't know the language and uh, they don't, they, they don't know the culture and they just, you know, didn't want, you know, well, number one, Mexico is not the safest place, especially for, 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 for women. So that, you know, they couldn't, they, they couldn't, or maybe they just didn't want to do as much as me. Um, and I, you know, let's face it. I didn't want to, go outside every day with my sisters holding their hands and stuff like that. And, you know, you're a teenage boy. You want to go outside and make your own friends and stuff. So I jumped into it a lot more deeper than they did. And, uh, but eventually they did. Um, and so at 14, like they were asking me how to say stuff. Right. And I'm like, girls, sisters, it's been a year. You've got to learn the language. And the only way you're going to learn is get outside and make some friends. And that's how, how we did it. And um, what, my, what my parents did as missionaries, they focused on the villages in Mexico. So we lived in a city. So Guadalajara had, when we lived down there, it had like 9.8 million. And it grew over the time I was living there to like 11.8. So it grew a, a few million in less than 10 years, uh, a couple million um, and uh, it was just a, it was just a growing city and a huge city. So we lived in, you know, one of the suburban cities. And, you know, outside of that, you got these villages that are just dirt poor. The, the, the villages are just made. The roads are made of dirt and garbage and people will make their homes out of whatever they can. And so we would go. My parents would go into those those villages, those dirt villages and hand out tracks and pass out these little pamphlets with directions to our home, <laughs> get that, 
and in invitations to our home on Sunday for um, a Bible service and a free meal. And man, Sunday is party day for Mexicans. Like there's nothing to do on Sunday, but just hang out with some friends all day. And like literally when you go to someone's house on Sunday, you're there for the day. So by, by my parents inviting these villagers to our place um, for, for this service and free meal, you know, they'd start showing up at, uh, you know, 10, 11, 12 o'clock and they would be there till seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. Like it was an all day thing. And so, you know, I had to adjust to that, but I loved it, uh, you know, and um, there was times when it was really frustrating. Like there was just times where I was like, okay, Sunday's going to be a big day. It's going to be a lot of work, but Hey, we're going to have some fun. So I, I, um, I, I guess I just had that mentality in life to try and enjoy it and have some fun, you know, and uh, I tried to help my parents as much as possible. But at the end of the day, I didn't really understand what we were doing. Like uh, it was my parents' mission, not mine. Right. Like, so I was just, I'm just a teenager, just kind of there following orders, so to speak. <laughs> Go set up the chairs in the back room, son. <laughs> we're going to have 30 people today. And by the time I could drive it, it I started driving to the village and picking, picking people up and bringing them back. And, and then when it was all said and done, I'd take them home. So, you know, they didn't have to pay the, the cheap 30 cent bus ride, but you know, 60 cent round trip, really, if you think about it, we didn't want anybody paying to come to our house and, and, and experience and um, what we had for them. So, you know, I would go pick them up. We had a van. Someone gave us a van, I'd go pick them up, bring them back. So it was a really cool experience for me. And, in the moment I, I had all, I was just living life. Right. But looking back at it, I had some pretty crazy experiences that will never leave me. And so I appreciate that. But at the end of the day, it wasn't my mission. So I was like, well, what, what is it my dad's talking about? And what's my dad telling these people? Like, what's he reading them out of the Bible? So I wanted to study the Bible. And, uh, I, 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 kind of voiced that and and had an opportunity presented to me to go to a Bible college uh, in Maine, in Charleston, Maine. It's called Faith School of Theology. And that year they were trying to become accredited so that they can offer a degree in theology, the study of God. Um, and, you know, to offer a degree, you have to have four years at an accredited college or university. So they changed their name to Telios University and offered a fourth year and a degree in theology. So I did four years at the university and, and got my degree in theology. And for all four years there, I stayed on a, a men's dorm, which was really cool. Probably, you know, one of the coolest experiences of my life. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so, you know, growing up through my teenage years, being a missionary in Mexico with my parents and then getting up to university in Maine. Maine was a culture shock for me again because I went from this beautiful climate to very cold conditions. Like when I showed up there at the end of August, um, I, I think it was like in the teens and um, I didn't even have a jacket. So I showed up there in like shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> And so the first thing I wanted to do when I got to Maine is like, I need to go to store and get some clothes here. And, you know, there was someone that had offered me a jacket 
and they were like, Oh, you should take this jacket. It'll probably fit you. It was, uh, it's an, it's an old army fighter pilots jacket. Um, that keeps the, the fighter pilots warm when they're up, you know, way up in the, in the sky where it's cold. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to need that. I'll be all right. And then, so I was like, man, I really wish I had that jacket, even though you wouldn't have needed that in August, but it was like in the teens, which was like, I was used to like 35, 40. So like I said, culture shock for me. And then the people, um, just different. I always call Mainers maniacs. just a little too far north and then you get to canada (laughs) and you feel like you're gonna fall off the side of the earth no um but i love canada and um when i was in maine when i met my wife um and started coming in and out of canada i fell in love with her and fell in love with canada at the same time like canada just has such a raw nature and beauty to it and uh, the first year I came to Canada, I went fly fishing. And while I was fly fishing, like I just hooked a salmon and like a black bear came out of the woods next to the river and started climbing up this tree. And uh, apparently there was an eager eagle's nest at the top of the tree. And so the black bear was trying to get up there. And this was in the spring of the year. Like, well, I say spring. It was in July or uh, June. Um. And the black bear was trying to get to the eagle's nest to access the baby eagles. You could hear them chirping up there. Like, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. So um, these two bald eagles that were on watch, right, on guard for their baby bald eagles in the nest, they took off flying and they went straight up into the sky, like so high you could barely see them. And I'm sitting there in the river with my, my fly rod and fly in the water watching this. And I see this bear getting closer and closer. And all of a sudden, you see these bald eagles come down like fighter jets and they just plummet into that bear and knock him out of the tree. And I'm going to say the bear was about 15 feet, maybe, maybe close to 20 feet in the air. And he just fell out of that tree and hit the ground and he took off running. And so that was just awesome. And then when we were leaving that camp, we saw like four moose and one of the moose literally like ran out into the road and started running alongside the truck with us. Like I was literally looking out the window next to me at a moose and this is the first time i'd ever seen a moose first time i'd ever seen this bear black bear and bald eagle encounter like it was just just this raw nature that you just yeah you're getting that in canada <laughs> um so yeah um got, you, got uh, all, you got you got all that all at once eh yeah it was incredible and uh yeah so oh, that led, led me to here i've been in canada now for Nine years, 2012. Unreal, Johnny. Well, thanks a lot for uh, thanks a lot for sharing that. That's uh, you know, obviously you've got a, a much more unique um, upbringing and uh, you know, like cultural uh, outlook than a lot of people would. Uh, you know, just living in in one place or one country, even for the majority of their lives. You've lived in three different countries, I guess, at this point, and uh, who knows what the future brings, right? Absolutely. So, um, like I, so like, I mean, let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about this. So like for anybody who's listening that may not know what a missionary is, why don't you just give us a quick breakdown? Of that? I mean, like you're, you're like, I mean, I, I understand it's, it's, it, you're doing God's work essentially. Right. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, it sounds like, uh, you guys were, were they missionaries in Georgia as well? Um, 
No, not really. Uh, we always attended churches. My, my parents were always pretty active and doing different stuff, but uh, not really. Um, when, when I say they were, my, my parents were missionaries on and off for 40 years, um, they had started back in the 70s, right after they got married. Um, and so being a missionary, uh, you, you can be a missionary so many different ways. Like, I'm glad you asked where the missionaries in Georgia, because you're, you're, when you're a missionary, you're really a missionary no matter where you are in life. Like you're telling, like my dad's mission was to tell people about God and he, that's all he wanted to do. And he did that everywhere. So yeah, yeah, he was, he was a missionary in Georgia, but he didn't have, he didn't have a church and we didn't have a lot of people that we invited to our home and, and feed them. You know, we, we, we were members of a church and, um, and so it was, it, it's just this different lifestyle. Uh, but at the end of the day, my mom and dad were missionaries no matter where they were, but it became more real when they, when, when we went to uh, a Mexico and you're living that missionary lifestyle. So what a missionary typically is someone that leaves their home country and they don't have to leave their country. Um, but if you look at missionaries in the past, that's what they did. They would leave their home country, go to another country or even go to just another area in the country, uh, maybe in their home country, but just an area that, that just hasn't really had a lot of people reaching them um, with the gospel and the gospel is um you know the good news of jesus christ our savior and that's found in the bible and um you know a lot of that 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 religious aspect of it a lot of people get that uh mixed up with just the the, the simplicity of of here's this bible that tells this great story that you need to to hear and so my dad was out there telling that story to anybody and everybody but what the reason we moved to Mexico was you could reach these, um, you know, these, these village villagers or these, you know, poor Mexicans in Mexico that literally had nothing and no hope. You could tell them about that story in the Bible and, and how it's just this beautiful story. You could give them some hope, right? Let them know somebody out there loves them. You know, the, cre the creator of the universe loves them. And uh, so my dad's mission was to invite them back to our home until we got a church going. Then we bought a church and then he started uh, a school in the church and the school was to educate the children. Because unfortunately, a lot of the, you know, the poor children in Mexico, in the villages, their parents won't often send them to any kind of school. So they need some education. And this was, you know, I'm, I'm talking school curriculum education i'm not talking at, at school um you know forcing the bible down their throats or teaching them the bible you're, you're teaching them a, a curriculum um but at the end of the day we were christians so we spoke about the bible openly and we told them about god openly and uh and that was my dad's mission so you know he again he had bought a church after a few years and then we grew that church and, and made an, a, a school out of it. And um, my dad actually wanted me to take over that. But um, I didn't feel like that was was for me. And uh, so when I went to Bible college, I wanted to find out who God was to me and, and what he sounds like to me and not like who he was to my dad and what he sounds like. Right. Like 
I think God meets us on a, on a level, on an individual level. And um, if you're open to it, then, then you'll find out who he is to you and what he's telling you. And if you're not open to it, well, then that's fine. You won't. Um, <laughs> it's very simple. But uh, yeah, so that's what an, a missionary lifestyle sort of is. And um, it, for my dad, he, he literally could not like sleep at night unless he had gone to the village and talked to somebody about God. And it, and, and it could have been someone who's already talked to him several times or most of the time he just wanted to talk to the first person he met on the bus. Or, or he would ride his bike over to the to the village and or me and him would drive over and we'd just park the car and we'd get out and he'd be like, all right, let's go talk to people. And uh, so that was it. He was just telling people about God, telling as many people about God and trying to, to teach them the Bible and making sure their kids were, were looked after. And, and uh, so let, yeah, let, let, let me ask you a question about that, Johnny. So based on the fact that your dad was like that as you were growing up, as you were kind of transitioning from being a teenager into being a man, how, how did that impact you? And how does that impact the way that you see things today? Like, how does that impact the way that you see God and that the way that, you know, you approach that with people? Like, do you, do you try to talk to people about that yourself as well? Like kind of talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So for me, it's not a, it's my dad. Um, but yeah, I, I do like I'm open about it. I'll, I'll tell people, I'll tell anybody and everybody that I'm a believer and I think they should be too. Um, but um, it, for, for me, I realize um, how uncomfortable it can be for people. And, and it's unfortunate that, that it's so uncomfortable um, just based off of like so many weird things that has happened throughout religion and Christianity. Um, you know, people think if you believe in God, you're crazy. But at the end of the day, I believe that God is the creator of the universe. And I think it's crazy not to believe in him. You know, um, God teaches us to have faith. And I believe that you need to have more faith to believe in something that just appeared out of nowhere than to believe in a God that says, I created this. And, uh, it, it, and, and there's a manual here for you on how to, to live here. And then if you take that away, then this just appeared here out of nowhere and there's no manual or, or, or no, you know, purpose, in my opinion. So, you know, you're 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 either OK with that or you're not. And uh, so I, I talk to people very um, in general terms like that and then very uh, matter of fact, like. I know that God is real. Just, I just know it. Right. There's no question about it. You know, just like, I know that, you know, I have two feet and 10 toes. So I know God is real. And so I, I, I try and tell people and I always say, I always like to ask people, are you open to it? Cause if people aren't open to it then I'm not going to force anything that I believe to them, but I do like to present them with the idea like some food for thought so yeah like uh for example my dad if we invited if, if we were going to the village and we saw a hitchhiker my dad would pick him up and the first thing he would ask him is do you believe in god <laughs> and um no matter how you look at that that can be a little creepy to ask a, a hitchhiker because you, you have their life you know in your hands because you're driving this car <laughs> um but um, 
at the end of the day, like it was just so important and so vital uh, to ask that question and to get that news out um, to my dad that he, he, he wouldn't let, he wouldn't let people go uh, without, without making sure he had had that conversation with them, no matter how uncomfortable it got. And what was cool is my dad also never forced, you know, his beliefs or, or his relationship with God on anybody. And I call it a relationship with God because my dad wasn't a religious man. There was no set type of rituals that we had to follow. You know, we were independent missionaries. We weren't under like the Catholic church or we weren't under any kind of denominational church or group. We were just down there telling people about the Bible and, and about God and what the Bible says. And so in my life, um, I always say, well, uh, someone said it for me, but um, Abraham Lincoln said, you know, ask my neighbor if I'm a Christian, if you want to know. Right. And so in my life, I try and, and live a life that reflects that. And if people around me can't like don't know there's there's that aspect in my life then i feel like i'm failing um and so that's how i go about it in life and at the end of the day there's there's you have nothing to lose to 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 actually believe in god and that he's the creator of the universe and that he just wants the best for you you got nothing to lose there but if you refuse to believe in that or you're not open to that and you have a lot to lose and uh, that's what I try and tell people. Some people want to hear it and some people don't. And so you just have to judge how open people are. And you got to ask, are you open to it? And like just recently, I was out fishing with a guy and I was fishing with a group of guys that are believers. And one of the guys invited his friends. We were talking about God and some stuff like that. And this guy goes, God's not real. And I was like, oh, man, really? Like, do, do you really believe that? Like, have you have you tried to prove God God's existence is not real. And he was like, no, I just know he's not. And I was like, well, I would encourage you to be a little more open to as to whether or not he is real and try and prove him to not be real. Like you on your own. I'm not going to try and do it. You need to do it. So what I believe is if people are, are strong enough and confident or capable enough to do that, they will come to a, a better realization that he is very much real. Yeah, I think I think you're definitely uh, I think you're definitely right when it comes to that. And I mean, I've met people that that have that same outlook as well, Johnny. And it's like I, I think that the common theme that I find with people that are like that is that they've had bad things happen throughout their life, and they they blame God for it, um, or that they believe that if there was a God, that wouldn't have happened. So I think that's definitely uh, that's definitely a big part of it. And, uh, you know, I think that like for someone like myself, see, I, I kind of grew up that my parents were, they were, we'll say non-practicing non Christians. So they kind of instilled certain things into me and uh, got me to pray and stuff like that when I was young, but they didn't really do any of the stuff themselves. They didn't go to church. They didn't, you know what I mean? There was very little, if any kind of association with that, but they did want me to kind of have those values because my both, my grandparents on both sides were very religious and they attended church regularly, read the Bible regularly, things like that. So for me, I kind of had that just kind of in the back of my mind, but I spent a large portion of my life that I had no association, no understanding, or, you know, I could argue that I didn't really believe that there was a God. 
And uh, I think that he finds people when they're ready to, to receive him, when they're ready to, to understand and to accept. And I mean, for, for me, it's like a lot of people I believe have a similar experience that when I was at one of the lowest points of my life, that's when I found God. And that's when I realized that there was so much, uh, <laughs> so much impact that you could have on my life. Like since, since that's come into my life, I've had every single relationship has improved with everyone from my children to my parents, everyone. Um, you know, it's, it's removed my anxiety. It gives me the ability to just not fear the unknown and not really fear anything on a day-to-day basis, which is incredible. And I'm starting, my daughter's four years old. I'm starting to teach her about it. We read the Bible every time that, uh, every time that she's here before bed, we read Bible stories and stuff like that to just kind of show those values and show that, that stuff. And, you know, it's, it's like you said, if you, if you believe, then that's fantastic. And if you don't, well, then that's, then, then you don't. And there may be some things that you miss out on, but, uh, you know, I think that he really does find us when we're ready to receive him and when we're, when we're ready and when we need him most. So, you know, and I think that people like your parents who are going and spreading the word about that, that that's extremely important. And I think that that must have been an incredible experience for you. And I'm sure that you're very thankful because, you know, it essentially shaped you to be the person that you are today. And I, you know, I get, I get the sense that, you know, you, you treat people well and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a great thing. It's a great thing for sure. So um, I'll I'll just say this and this will kind of sum up, um, sum up everything about uh, where God lies in people's lives. You're familiar with Formula One racing, right? Yeah. Um, last year, 2020, there was a race car driver, Romain Grosjean, French driver. He was driving for an American team, the Haas One driving team. So at Formula One, there's uh, 10 teams with two cars, 20 race cars on the track. And, um, you know, these are the 20 best drivers in the world because they're doing turns at 270 miles or, yeah, 270 kilometers up to 340 kilometers um, an hour, right? So these are, these, are, these are the top 20 in the world. And one guy, Romain Grosjean, had an accident and hit the wall going 160 miles an hour. Immediately, the car... Uh, like was engulfed in flames and that's not supposed to happen. Like they have so many safety measures in, in place that if a car hits the wall, the, the, you know, the, the cool gas and everything like that, they, they actually cool the gas in the cars and keep it cool. Anyways, they have all these safety measures in place to where the gas really shouldn't inflame, but it did. It, it, it engulfed the vehicle in flames and the F1 vehicles are, are these, Really fast go-karts, I like to say. Like you're just sitting there behind the in front of the engine and you have very little bit of protection around you. So when something is engulfed in flames, well, you, you're and you see this guy crash into the wall at 160 miles an hour, you're thinking there's no hope for this guy. And uh, here's the other thing about Formula One racing. It's teams from all over the world. And a lot of these races take place in very high-end uh, cities um, in uh, you know, across Europe, and uh, so when, when you're dealing with that caliber of, of people, these these are like 
these these drivers are like athletes and uh, like their body just goes through such a rigorous experience uh, in the span of a 55 lap race. Um, if you really watch them and follow them closely, you see that uh, they don't really keep God close and, and they don't really talk about God. Matter of fact, the only time they'll, they'll, they'll talk about God is when they're, you know, using God's name in vain. <laughs> Uh, and so you know you just see these guys living this their best life and 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 god is nowhere to be seen but when the guy crashed into the wall 160 miles an hour and his car was on fire everyone i'm telling you everybody in that race when i say everybody the, all these you got these 10 teams that have a group of about 20 people each so there's you know, there's 200 people down there in, in the paddock. The paddock is where the, the team's teammates and members are, are kind of there watching the race. You got all these different – you got the pit crew and these different guys watching computers and these different guys communicating to the drivers. Every single person on that racetrack stopped and were praying for that guy. And whether, whether 20 minutes before the race you could ask somebody – you believe in God, and he, he could have said, no, God's not real. I guarantee you in that moment, every single person was praying to God that that guy was okay. And so that's where God is at the end of the day. When, when you know, so people don't want to acknowledge it, but when, when the going gets tough, they're always crying out to him, whether they say they believe in him or not. <laughs> wow. So, so do you do- – that's that's an incredible story. So do you think that it's like something that's embedded into everybody that, you know, maybe we have a belief, but when it comes down to it, when all of that is removed, when it's just you and the fight or flight, you think that the, everybody really, truly subconsciously knows? I think so. Yeah, I, I, I truly I do. And, Amazing. And, um, I just believe that nature points to God and, and everything about it. And that is human nature at its finest when 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 life or death is is on at hand, it's like who do you reach out to? Who do you who who like who? What, what's going on at, at in that moment? And everyone's everyone. I've even heard atheists say like, if you're a praying person, you need to be praying to God right now. And so at the end of the day, the guy lived, and that was a miracle. And and the takeaway of that is that God did perform a miracle there being engulfed in flames he walked out of there with with just some minor burns on his hands his gloves did catch on fire but he, they're wearing fire retardant suits and um you know they have they have all these safety measures in place to not uh, get burned but uh, the tops of his gloves caught fire out of the velcro or something like that and just burned him a little bit on his hands mm-hmm. And so if you can have an accident at 160 miles an hour and literally walk away from it being engulfed in flames, I could not, I, you can find this uh, on YouTube. You can find it on Netflix. Uh, right now there's a formula one um, show on Netflix called uh, race to survive um, formula one race to survive or something like that. So, um, yeah. You can go and watch that and watch him crash and just watch the, the pin drop when it happens and just hear the pin drop of everybody and, and then everyone crying out to God. So at the end of the day, you know, that's what I believe. And, um, you know, so that, that's just what re- reassures me that the God is real and he does miracles. 
Well, that's that's incredible, Johnny. I really appreciate you sharing your experience and uh, and sharing that story because that's very impactful as well. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna start wrapping this up. But let me ask you a question. So let's say that some of the people that are listening in, and I'm gonna ask you this because what I have been doing throughout the course of having my podcast is I've been planting seeds in regards to in regards to faith and in regards to God. So if you are speaking to someone who's listening out there who is kind of on the fence and who's maybe considering doing a little bit of research, hasn't really had any experience with the Bible or anything like that. What do you think the best way for someone to start their journey and start their own personal research is going to be? Hmm. Uh, The first thing that comes to my mind is a website called answersingenesis.org. And if they're not a reader that wants to go online and read this stuff, they can go on YouTube and watch it and finding answers in Genesis or my favorite one called The Bible Project. Um, So you can start online uh, with answers in Genesis or go to YouTube and find that and or The Bible Project, which is my favorite one. Uh, The Bible Project kind of takes little small stories in the Bible and 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 creates these animation um, stories to, to, and explains these stories that are hard to understand because the Bible is hard to understand. Um, and, and there's really like, it, there's really no starting point, um, for anybody. So you got to start somewhere. So you may as well go to answers in Genesis because Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And, 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 and so I would say start with the first book of the Bible, but at the end of the day, you know, that may not be the right starting path for somebody. So I want to give you multiple avenues. Um, and um, I, I like to make myself available to people that are just overwhelmed with that whole, that whole side. So I'm available and I don't have all the answers, but I do have a network of people around me that can help me get the answers. And um, I can make sure that I find some people for you because um, I'm pretty good as, at, at finding people in churchy networks. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, it, 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 I would say, like, whoever wants to start, um, be prepared for a life-changing experience, right? Like, it's going to change your life. It, it Literally, the, the way the Bible is designed is to for you to do a, a complete 180, an about-face, and turn around. And so be prepared to just change your life completely by just even starting looking into the Bible. So my name's Jonathan Thomas. I don't know if you have a way to, to plug my availability. You can find me on, on Facebook or Instagram, um, but you can reach out to me. You can reach out to Shane and, and then he can reach out to me. But um yeah, it, it is a huge endeavor to take on like a starting point for, for finding your way in, in, in the Bible and, and in the gospel. Um, but um, you can Google the, the Roman road to the gospel and, and literally see how uh, the, the news was first spread by the first missionaries in the Bible. Um, and and that, that, that story is laid out in Romans and, uh, yeah, there's there's so many different ways, um, 
I'm, I'm not a member, but we do attend or we were attending up until the pandemic. And, and then now it's kind of harder to attend, but uh, we attend the, the Pentecostalies Assemblies uh, of Canada, Pentecostal, Pentecostal Assemblies of God of Canada. It's a mouthful. Uh, P-A-O-C. Uh, but the, the, I always say that church has a really good doctrine. And if you find or know of a, of a church that, that lines up with them, then reach out to them as well. But uh, reach out to Shane. He says he's a believer. He can start with you. And if, 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 he's not, if you're not comfortable, if you want to send people my way, send them my way. But I, I, always, I really do send people to uh, AnswersInGenesis.org, answers the Bible Project on YouTube. And then one more, um, creation, creation.com. Those are going to get you started and well on your way to learning about the Bible and about God. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for that, Johnny. Um, you know, like he said, guys, if, uh, if you have any questions about this, then definitely reach out to myself. You can find Johnny on Facebook. You can find him on Instagram. He's okay with having people reach out to him. He'd love to, he'd love to hear from you guys. And he'd love to have, uh, have a conversation about this, obviously a constructive conversation. I don't want to hear about anybody, uh, you know, coming in and being negative or confrontational, but at the end of the day, we're just kind I of trying to, I, I can handle that. I did four years of theology and I've debated some of the, some of the, the worst of the worst atheists. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I can handle it. If you want to, if you want to bring it on and put the heat on, bring it. <laughs> right on. Well, listen, Johnny, I really appreciate you coming on today. This was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, maybe we can get you on again in the future. If, uh, if you think you'd be up for that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, man. I, I, I gotta say, I was a little prepared to go down a different road, but we, we ended up here and I'm happy, man. So it was a pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, maybe we could do this uh, another time and, and maybe take it down another road. We'll see. Most definitely. Most definitely. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. If there's something that I want you to take away from today, it's that, you know, if you're on the fence, if you're still kind of uh, not sure about uh, about your faith or if your faith lies in other places, I think you should give God and you should give Bi the Bible a chance because it very well may change your life. So thank you so much for listening. I love you all and God bless.